lecture. Wow, thanks for that. It was very nice. Let's do that again. Clap for me one more time. There we go. <laughs> That's great. Well, good morning. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Again, it's at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And uh, while you're getting there, um, I just want to start this morning by wishing all the moms a happy Mother's Day. Um, yeah, we can clap for that for sure. I think all of us husbands and dads would agree that Mother's Day should be every single day of the year, right? I mean, for everything that moms do, all the hard work and all the loving and all the caring and compassion and just everything that you are. Uh, but on this day, we just honor you and we celebrate you and we thank you for everything that you do and everything that you are. And uh, I also know that uh, for some of you, Mother's Day can be a difficult day and it can be a hard day. And, uh, and if that's you, if Mother's Day is a hard day for you, um, I just want to say that we see you and we, uh, we bless you and uh, we honor you. And uh, I pray that God may redeem motherhood for you. And so happy Mother's Day to all of you moms, but especially to the best mom in the world, my beautiful wife, Tina. That's how you do it, guys. That's how you do it. So as you know, Pastor Chris has been gone for, uh, for a week now for his sabbatical, which is going to be for three months. And uh, over the last few weeks, uh, a lot of people, many of you have asked me uh, what that's going to be like and uh, if we're ready for that. And uh, the answer I've been giving is, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. I've never had my lead pastor be gone for three months for a sabbatical. And uh, as far as being ready, um, you need to know that Pastor Chris, uh, he did an amazing job. He did a great job at getting the staff ready, getting the church ready, getting everyone ready for this sabbatical. And uh, as he left, we felt like we feel like we're somewhat ready, or we're really ready, I should say. Um, at the same time, though, I think like many other things in life, uh, you can plan a lot and you can prepare a lot. Uh, but you only know if you're ready once you get there. And so uh, he's been gone for a week now, and I'm happy to report that it was a good week. You know, we're still here. The church didn't burn down yet, so that's a good thing. The bar is really low. We, we didn't burn the church down, and so that's a good thing. Um, but I know it's been a really good weekend. Uh, the staff worked really well together to keep the church running, and uh, I can just report that it's been a really good week, and now we only have 11 more weeks to go. But who's counting, right? <laughs> Um, and like Jeff mentioned, uh, we have Terry Bone who's going to be joining us uh, in a few weeks. And uh, Terry's great. If you haven't met uh, Terry, Terry was here a few weeks ago. Uh, he spoke on a Sunday. And uh, we're looking forward to having him and his, his gift uh, for preaching. And while he's here, he's going to be doing most of the preaching on Sundays uh, with a couple of exceptions, including this morning. And so I'm sharing the word with you this morning. And so here we go. I hope you're ready. So we have called this a year of uh, pursuing peace. I know we've heard it a lot over the past year. Uh, Pastor Chris mentions that every Sunday. Um, but that's our theme for this year. And uh, we know that for many of us, for a lot of us, um, the last two years have not been easy. And they've been quite um, turbulent. And uh, most of us have gone through a lot of stuff. We've gone through a lot of uh, experiences that we've never had before. And uh, it's been a difficult season for many of us. And uh, so we call this year a year of pursuing peace because in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the, uh, the hardships and all the, uh, that has transpired around us this past year, um, we want to be people who are at peace with ourselves. And uh, we want to be people who are at peace with one another. And more than anything, we want to be people who are pursuing God as the ultimate source of peace. Amen? Amen. And so as I was getting ready for this morning and uh, seeking God's guidance for what to share with you this morning, um, I felt compelled to talk about character this morning. Um, one of the things that Susan has said uh, many times over the last two years is that through and because of everything we have gone through over the last two years, um, a lot of things in us have been brought to the surface and revealed in us. 
And uh, the things that have come to the surface uh, haven't always been good things like patience and kindness and love. Um, there's been a lot of things like anxiety and, and fear and stress and anger at times and bitterness and annoyance and uh, things that are not um, the godliest things. And uh, at the same time, uh, I think for many of us for the last couple of years, it's also been a time when God has been working on our character. And uh, for many of us, it's been a time uh, when we've had to reflect and ask ourselves questions like, um, in what ways is my character godly? And uh, in what ways is my character not godly? Um, and if we're going to be people who are pursuing peace, and if we're going to be people who are pursuing God as the ultimate source of peace, um, then a lot of that begins with our character. A lot of that begins uh, with who we are inside. We're not going to be people who are pursuing God's peace if uh, our character is not godly, and if our character is not reflective and aligned with who God wants it to be. And so as we talk about godly character um, this morning, um, we're going to be talking about a couple of principles for growing and developing um, godly character. And a full disclaimer, I want to be really clear on this. Um, there are many ways that God can grow our character. And so I'm talking about two principles this morning because I don't want anyone to go home and think that I say there's only one way we can grow character. And if you're not doing that, then you're wasting your time. So I want to be really clear on that. God can work in many ways to grow our character and to develop our character. Uh, but we don't have a full day to talk about all the possible ways that God can grow our character. And so we're going to focus on two principles this morning from Scripture on how we can grow and develop um, godly character. Um, because as God reveals himself to us and as he works on our character, um, God can reveal himself through his scripture for sure uh, in prayer. As we spend time in prayer with God and in the scripture, um, no, we develop and we grow in intimacy. And through that intimacy, God can do powerful transformational work in us. And so I want to make sure that we understand that this is not a definitive, all-encompassing list on everything, every single way God can develop character. It's just a couple of principles um, that God can use to develop and grow our character. And so let's have a look at our text this morning, if you're there with me, at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, in character, hope. And so I want to start by unpacking that passage a little bit this morning um, because as we talk about how we are to develop godly character, uh, and by the way, you're going to hear me say the word character like a thousand times this morning, so I'm just going to have to deal with that this morning. Um, but as we look at what the scriptures have to say about us and godly character, um, I think it's important that we have a solid understanding of why we are to be people with godly character and why God wants to develop and work godly character in us. And so as we look at uh, the first couple of verses in our text this morning, um, the first thing that Paul does is that he reminds us, as he often does in his letters, um, that we have been saved. He reminds us that through Jesus and through Jesus alone, we have been made new. And we are now at peace with God. And he reminds us that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have been justified. In other words, we have been made just before God, and we have been moved from a state of sin into a state of grace. We're still sinful, but we are now walking in grace because of Jesus. And because of all of that, we can boast in the hope we have now received. We can boast in the hope that we have now in and through Jesus. But then Paul goes on to say that even though we are now standing in grace... There will still be suffering. There will, still be, there will still be hard times. And Paul writes that they will have to persevere, and through perseverance will develop godly character. 
And so that's where I want to start this morning because um, I think one of the things that we often hear nowadays from, uh, from today's popular preachers is that the only thing a person has to do um, to be saved is just believe. All we have to do is just place our faith in Jesus and then boom, we're saved and that's the end of the story. And, and yes, of course, it is true that our hope and the hope we have been given, our salvation, the new life and our standing justified before God, it's all because of Jesus and there's nothing we can do to earn that. It's all because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We believe that, amen? amen. And yet the Bible also tells us in James that in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by works and by action, it's dead. And so Paul says we have gained access to the grace in which we now stand. In other words, we have gained access to God through Jesus. But then James says that the same faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by works, it's dead. And so we know we are not saved by our works and our kindness and our loving nature and everything, all the good things we can be. We know we are not saved by our actions. And we know we are made new through Jesus and our salvation is not something we earn. But we also know that if we are truly saved... If our faith is real, then works and actions have to follow. Like, they have to follow. There's no choice in that. And so when we are saved, you know, it's not just a catchy slogan that we can you know, walk around saying, Hi, I'm Xavier. I'm saved. You know, and that's the end of the story. There has to be something that shows that we are saved. Because people won't know that we are saved if we're just walking around like everybody else and there's no sign of our salvation. It's much more than that. It is so life-changing. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, Right? And so being saved means that our place in eternity has been secured and has been determined. But it also means that our life on earth becomes about transformation. And our life becomes about growth and the reshaping of our character. And so if our lives now that we're saved are all about transformation, then the question is, then what are we changing into? Like, what are we supposed to become now? And the answer is so simple, guys. The answer is the classic Sunday school answer that I got right 100% of the time when I was in Sunday school. The answer is... Jesus, wow, you guys went to Sunday school and you passed, <laughs> right? Our lives now become about becoming more and more like Jesus. It's that simple. Unfortunately, that change that we go through now doesn't happen overnight, right? Like that sanctification, the transformation, the renewal that we go now, that we go through now is a lifelong journey. And we still have our flesh that is at war with the spirit. Galatians 5 verse 17 tells us that our flesh wants the opposite of what the spirit wants, and we have baggage and we have our character, which has been forming and shaping from the moment we were born. And so now as we stand as a new creation before God, he begins to work on our character. And he begins to chisel away at everything that we need to shed to become more and more like Jesus. And he begins to work on our character because if our faith is supposed to bear fruit, if our faith is going to be accompanied by action, then our character is going to have to change to be more like Jesus because our every word our every thought, our every action is determined by our character. And before we were saved, our character looked nothing like Jesus, right? And so we have to change so our character reflects who Jesus is. And so this sermon wouldn't be any good if I didn't have a fancy slide with a word definition. And so here we go. Character. <laughs> Webster Dictionary defines character as the attributes or features that make up or distinguish an individual. I'll say that again. Webster Dictionary defines character as the attributes or features that make up or distinguish an individual. Our character is what distinguishes us. Our character defines who we are. And as children of God, as a new creation through Jesus, what distinguishes our character has to be that we look more and more like him. That we look less and less like ourselves and more and more like Jesus. 
You know, and there are lots of other clever sayings about defining character. I've always liked this one a lot. This one that says, character is what we do when no one is watching. Or here's this one here. I like this one too. Your character defines who you are by the actions you take. And so, you know, there's lots of clever and cool sayings uh, about defining character. But I like the, uh, the Webster definition one because our character is what distinguishes us. It is what sets us apart. Our character, you know, is what a world that is lost and a world that needs Jesus desperately is going to see in us. That's what the world will see in us, our character. It's our witness. And so, now that we established that, I want to dive into a couple of principles, like I said, on how God works and develops our character. So, I don't know which stream of the church everyone here grew up in. I mean, I know that almost everyone here is Mennonite and grew up Mennonite and their mom, but I know that not everyone uh, is from that background. So, I don't want to assume that uh, what your faith was like growing up. Um, but I think for many of us who grew up in the church or those of us who have been uh, saved in Christ followers for a long time, uh, one of the things that we grew up with was this idea floating out there that Christians have it all together. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I grew up with a lot of that. I remember growing up and uh, a lot of the perception uh, of Christians by non-believers uh, was that Christians were a bunch of people who were always happy, skipping through fields in the sunset, just like that. And you know, things were always good for Christians. And uh, I remember thinking two things. One, well, that's just not true. Right? I mean, none of the Christians that I know have it all together and everything is definitely not always good and great for none of the Christians that I know. And secondly, I remember thinking, for anyone who thinks that the life of a Christian is great and it's always trouble-free and life is always good, if anyone believed that, I remember thinking, like, why wouldn't you want that then? Why wouldn't you want to be a Christian if you believe that being a Christian means that life is always great, it's always skipping through fields in the sunset? And so, I mean, we know that's not true. We know that being a follower of Christ does not mean that, um, that life will always be good and that life will always be peachy and rosy. And so... Um, as Christ followers, you know, I think that we know that we will go through difficult seasons and difficult times and painful seasons, and we can have seasons of emotional, of personal, of family, of financial struggles, and we know God never said, God never promised that life would always be good and great for followers of Christ. In fact, when we look at the scriptures, the Bible is full of passages that tell us that the life of a Christian will not be easy, right? That following Christ will come at a price, and that we, we will go through hardships in life. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter verse 8 it says we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed james chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness first peter chapter 4 verse 19 therefore those who also those also who suffer according to the will of god will entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so in every one of those passages, and so many other similar passages, it is clear that there will be suffering and hardships in the life of a Christian. And not only that, but in 1 Peter 5, chapter 4, verse 19, it says that there are times when our suffering is part of God's will for our lives, that God wants us to go through suffering at times. And so when we look at, all, no, at the word there's just no way around it. There's no way around the fact that when we give our lives to Jesus, our lives will not become a joyride full of you know, unicorns and rainbows. There will be sound, sad, hard times through life. And uh, listen, I don't want to stir things up this morning, um, but I do want to touch on this quickly. And by the way, whenever a preacher says, I don't want to stir things up, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to stir things up. <laughs> but uh, I do want to touch on this quickly because I've always been perplexed by the uh, prosperity gospel. 
And, uh, and if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the uh, prosperity gospel, it's a theology that essentially says that the life of a Christ follower will come with success and wealth and everything your heart desires um, if your faith is strong enough. And uh, we know that the theology of the uh, prosperity gospel comes from some passages in the Bible that tell us that God wants us to prosper and God wants to bless us and he wants us to thrive in life. Um, but to form a theology that teaches that God only wants us to thrive and experience success and wealth and financial security is to overlook all the times in the Bible when, God, when we are told by God that the life of a Christian will not be easy. God never promises that we're always going to prosper and thrive on this earth. And to say to someone who has strong and deep faith and who's suffering in any way, whether it's financially or emotionally or any kind of suffering, to say to that person that they just need to pray more and pray harder or that they have to, you know, to have deep and stronger faith to receive God's blessing or that the reason that they're hurting is that because their faith is not strong enough, that's not what the Bible tells us as a whole. We know the Bible says there will be times when we thrive and we grow and God blesses us. And there will be times when there's suffering and pain and we'll have to endure through that. And yet so often in the Bible, we are reminded that when we go through trials, God has a purpose. And God has a plan for the setbacks and the trials that we go through and the trials we experience. We are reminded that it's not just hard times for the sake of hard times or hard times because life is just hard. But rather, we learn that God wants to use the hardships we go through for our good, to develop and to grow our character. Verse 3 of our text this morning says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so that's the first principle we're looking at this morning for how God develops and how God grows our character. Through suffering and through setbacks and trials in life. And so you may know this quote. Um, there's a famous quote by Winston Churchill, looking very happy right there, good old, good old Churchill. Um, but when he, when he said these famous words, uh, World War II was just coming, close to coming to an end, and uh, the entire world had gone through a, a horrendous war that killed nearly 50 million people in six years. And uh, I mean, this was a dark, dark time for humanity. And uh, I can only imagine how difficult um, it would have been for leaders like Churchill to have any hope and any purpose or drive to lead after such devastation in their countries. Um, and yet through all that suffering and devastation, Churchill saw an opportunity for growth. And so the words he said, the, uh, the famous words he said are, never let a good crisis go to waste. I'm sure you've heard that before. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And so I don't know if you know this, but one of the things that Churchill is best known for is that he used a number of alliances that were formed because of the war uh, with leaders of countries of, uh, that were rivals. And through these alliances that most likely would not have happened if it wasn't for the war, um, he used all of those uh, alliances to become one of the masterminds behind the formation of the United Nations, which became the body that brought much of the world into agreement um, to establish and preserve peace after the war. And so I, I know it would have been infinitely better and easier if you could have gotten to the founding of the United Nations without all the death and all the destruction of the war. But the principle here is that difficult times and painful seasons will come and wars will happen and pain will come. And so when those things come, we need to be looking for the growth that can come from those seasons. Um, I remember um, a few years ago, I went through a, a, just a tough season, a, a very long, tough season that just seemed like last forever. It just wouldn't end. Um, and it was just a, a dark period. And uh, I felt a little bit like this ship in the picture here that 
Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it to shore or if I was going to sink in this season. And so as I was going through this difficult time, um, there were some people in my life that, uh, that I surrounded myself with that I was leaning on for support and encouragement and guidance and advice and, uh, and people who challenged me and uh, people who acted as a, as a sounding board in that rough season. And so one day um, I was meeting with one of these people and uh, we were talking about uh, what was going on. And uh, I was at a low point and I just kind of felt like I just was not at the happiest point in my life. And so I met with one of these people and uh, we talked about everything that was happening and uh, how I was feeling that day. And uh, as we were wrapping up, um, that person said, you know, I'm glad you're going through this. And I was like, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I, I come to you for support and encouragement and even to be challenged. And, and, you know, and you say, I'm happy that you're going through a tough time. But I knew right away, I knew what this person meant. Uh, I knew that even though I was going through a painful time, a time of turmoil, and I felt very perplexed and, uh, and anxious, I knew God was at work. And I knew he was revealing things to me and stretching me and challenging me to grow. And he was allowing me to go through some suffering, but he was working on my character through all of it. And I learned so many lessons from that season that I know I wouldn't have learned any other way. And so God works to develop our character through setbacks and trials and, and hardships. Right? We know that Job lost everything, his wealth and his family and friends. And Joseph was sold as a slave to his, by his brothers. And David, King David, was persecuted by a king and his army. And Paul was arrested and beaten and persecuted. And we know that for Joseph and David, we know that for those guys, um, they did gain wealth and power after the season of trials. But we also know that for Paul and almost all of the disciples, there was no wealth. There was no power that came from following Jesus. Walking with God for most of the disciples meant suffering and trials and even death. But there's so much growth that came from every one of them from, from their suffering. And so I want to take a quick look at the, uh, the life of Joseph in the Old Testament because I think, we, I think we can learn a few things about character growth through the suffering uh, of Joseph. And so, you know, I find the story of Joseph a little bit interesting, or quite interesting, I should say, um, because at first glance, I think that we often, we've always learned that Joseph was this great man, this great guy who battled through adversity, and uh, he was given visions and, dream and dreams, and uh, he was the victim of his jealous, mean brothers who were the bad guys who acted out of envy and anger and hatred and sold him into slavery. But if we take a closer look at the story of Joseph in Genesis 37, um, I think it becomes clear that there's actually more than that to the story. I think it becomes obvious that there were some really unhealthy family dynamics going on in this family and that Joseph had some serious character flaws. And so Genesis 37 says that Joseph was the youngest of Jacob's sons and uh, he was just a young guy. He was 17. And I want to pick up the story in, uh, in the events of Genesis 37 verse 3. And so it says, Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any, any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so the first thing we learn about Joseph in these verses is that uh, his father loved him more than any of his other sons. Joseph was the favorite, right? And uh, his dad made no effort to conceal or to hide the fact that Joseph was the favorite. In fact, he made a show of Joseph being the favorite by giving him special gifts for the whole family to see. And so he displayed that Joseph was the favorite son. And because of that, because of Jacob's favoritism of Joseph, um, his brothers hated him. His own brothers hated Joseph. And so, listen, we don't condone the, uh, the, the sinful hatred and the anger that Joseph's brothers had towards him. 
Um, but I think it's fairly obvious that Jacob, as a father, he had some serious failures as a father by loving one of his sons more than the others and by displaying, by showing that love, that affection in front of the whole family. And by doing that, Jacob had created animosity and conflict within his family and between his children. And I mean, I don't want to brag, and I'm not the greatest dad in the world, um, but I can't imagine ever showing one of my kids more love than the others and displaying more love for one of them than the others and even just showing animosity between my children. That's, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do as parents. And so uh, we know that we may not have the full story and maybe Joseph's brothers were terrible guys and Joseph was just a really good son and that uh, maybe it was just easy for Jacob to feel more affection towards Joseph. So we don't know the full story and all the details, but in the end, Jacob's actions and Jacob's failure as a father leads to Joseph having some serious character flaws. And so if you look at the next three verses in uh, the same chapter, it says, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So Joseph receives a vision from God in a dream. And in this vision, God reveals to him that one day he would, be, he, would, he would have power and rule over his brothers. And so, so far, so good. Joseph has done nothing wrong. He had a dream. God revealed something to him. But what happens next is that Joseph goes to his brothers, and we begin to see some of these character flaws in Joseph. Or you can say that Joseph was just innocently going to his brothers and telling him, you know, hey, guys, listen, I had this dream. But Joseph knew that his brothers hated him because he was the favorite. But rather than trying to win them over and rather than trying to gain their favor, he goes to them and he tells them, hey guys, guess what? I had this dream and in my dream, I'm way better than you guys and you guys are all my servants and I'm awesome. <laughs> like, way to go, Joseph. <laughs> like, if I knew someone hated me, I would never, not that anyone hates me or whatever, but I would never say that to that person, right? I would try to win them over if I could. And so we can interpret what Joseph did in, a different, you know, in just a number of different ways. But I think there was definitely a lot of pride and insecurity involved. And there was definitely an element of self-identity issues involved as Joseph was trying to assert himself over his brothers. And so what happens next, and we won't read the entire chapter because it's quite long. Uh, but what happens next is that Joseph's brothers have had enough. And they decide that it's time for Joseph to go. He's got to go. And so they conspire against him. And they seize him. And they sell him as a slave. And then they lie to their father and make him believe that Joseph has been killed. And so I think that was a bit of an overreaction by the brothers. I mean, they could have handled that better, maybe. Uh, but now Joseph goes through a season, a long season of suffering. And he goes from being the favorite child in a wealthy family to being a slave in a foreign, faraway country. And I mean, yes, Joseph was proud and brash and unwise. But I don't think that Joseph's experience in slavery um, was punishment from God. I think this experience was about God shaping his character and not about condemnation. And if you read the entire story of Joseph, at the end of his trial and suffering, there's redemption. And he comes out of it a much wiser man. And he comes out of it with much more humility. And he has grown and developed godly character. And now you could say it's possible that he could have, you know, he would have grown and matured in character if his brothers hadn't sold him as a slave. But I think it's hard to imagine that if he would have become, uh, that he would have become a wise and humble man if he had spent the rest of his life 
being daddy's favorite. And if he had spent the rest of his life being proud and trying to assert himself over his brothers. And if he spent the rest of his life uh, being surrounded by a family that hated him. And of course, we know that Joseph's story is much more than just that. It's part of God's, uh, God's plan for the people of Israel. But for Joseph, um, I think this experience was a journey that God put him through and God put him on for God to turn it into a season of suffering and, and for that to become a season of character development and a season of character growth. And so that brings me to our second principle this morning for growing and developing godly character. So when we talk about suffering, um, there's something about suffering and going through trials and tough times that everyone can relate to. I mean, everyone at, some po- at one point or another has gone or will go through a difficult season, right? I mean, I've heard suffering being called the great equalizer, meaning that in life, suffering does not discriminate. So in life, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're wise or foolish, whether someone's a good person or a bad person, there is nothing we can do to escape suffering or to be guaranteed a life with no suffering, right? Suffering can come at any time for anyone, Anyone can become ill and lose their health. Anyone can lose their job. Anyone can lose their wealth or possessions. And anyone can go through a tragic time at any time, right? right? When recessions happen and people lose their jobs, it often doesn't matter if someone has been a great worker for many years uh, and someone has been a great employee. If a recession happens and hits and employers have to lay people off, very often great and hardworking people get laid off. And so suffering makes us all equal in that we're all vulnerable to suffering and there's not really much we can do to make sure that we can get through life without any suffering. I've said suffering a lot, but I want to keep saying it a lot, so here we go. But the, the second principle for character growth, um, according to Paul, Paul in Romans 5, is perseverance. Paul says that when we suffer, it leads to perseverance. And perseverance leads to character. Perseverance leads to character. And so God forms and he shapes our character to become people who persevere when we suffer. And the thing about perseverance, uh, which is different than suffering, is that perseverance is something that we actually have control over. We cannot choose when we suffer, otherwise we'd always choose no suffering. But perseverance is a choice that we make. Perseverance is being faced with an obstacle, a setback, adversity, and uh, choosing between giving up and surrendering and even turning away from God in our suffering, or choosing to overcome and rise above our suffering and turning to God in our suffering. And even more, true perseverance means that we acknowledge that we cannot overcome suffering and pain by our own efforts. And true perseverance is being aware of our own limitations in our weakness and suffering. And so we turn to God to receive from him the strength that we need to persevere. And Paul is a great example of uh, of developing perseverance through suffering. Let's have a quick look at uh, Paul's life here in Acts chapter 9. So when God sends Ananias to meet Paul, um, Ananias is reluctant to go. Because he knows that Paul, he knows who Paul is, and he knows that Paul has been persecuting and killing Christians. And so he doesn't want to go and meet Paul and uh, bring a word uh, from God to him. But here's what God says to Ananias before he sends him to, sends him to meet Paul. He says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I will show him how much he must suffer. For the sake of my name. And so Paul knew that life with Christ would not be easy. God showed him how much he would suffer. And if you want a quick rundown of Paul's suffering, we can have a look at what he says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He says, I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, 
been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Wow, that's a long list. It kind of sounds to me like Paul is bragging a little bit that he suffered more than the rest of us. Um, but I think in reality we know that Paul is both giving a warning of what it might mean to follow Jesus and also showing the way for uh, how we are to persevere through our suffering and trials. And in verse 30 of the same chapter, Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So Paul is actually not bragging. He's saying, look at me. He's not saying, look at me and how strong I am in all my suffering. He's actually saying, look, I've suffered for Jesus and I have persevered, but I'm actually weak. I'm not that strong. And I can only persevere in God's strength. And so Paul reminds us that for the Christ follower, being saved and following Jesus does not mean that we will always succeed and thrive in life. And of course, the context when Paul wrote his letters was during the time of the early church when Christians were being persecuted and killed. And, and so we are not being persecuted and, you know, because of our faith right now and being not in the same way Paul was and being thrown in jail. We don't have to worry about that, about being beaten because of our faith. But the warning from Paul is that for the Christ follower, um, there will be suffering. And yes, God blesses us and we can, we can be followers of Christ who experience success and thrive in life. But when we inevitably experience suffering, we have to be people who can persevere in the strength we have received through Jesus. But here's the best part about all this talk about character development going on here. So here's what verse 4 says, our last verse this morning. It says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And character builds hope. And here's what that means. As we experience pain, as we suffer, and as we persevere and our character grows, we realize that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And as we go through that journey of suffering and persevering and growth, we realize that our hope is not found in anything in this world. And we realize that ultimately, all that matters is that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, our fate is sealed and our hope does not come from any of the blessings or the heights that we can reach in this life, right? If we only went from peak to peak and we only experienced success and prosperity and joy and satisfaction, our character would not grow. We would be people who lack godly character and people who don't know where our hope truly comes from. And we would miss out on valuable lessons about ourselves and about who God is that come from experiencing pain and setbacks and from having to persevere through pain by leaning on, on, on God and relying on him as the source of our victory. Come on up, worship team. And so I'm not saying this morning that because we follow Jesus that we're automatically going to suffer and experience pain and hurt. Um, but according to the Bible, following Jesus won't shield us from suffering and from setbacks. According to what the Bible says, just because we follow Jesus, we're not guaranteed that life will be smooth and that we will not suffer. And as part of this life, we are going to experience pain and loss, and we will mourn the loss of things that we long for. But for the Christ follower, pain and suffering and trials are not just part of life, right? For, for, for us, each and every crisis 
is an opportunity to ask ourselves, um, where is God in my broken heart? And how is God at work in my failure? And, and how is God going to redeem our depression, our anxiety? And, and we know these are not easy questions. We know that God wants to mend the broken heart, and he wants to redeem our failures and the things that bring us grief. But even if we don't receive the answer that we want, um, we know that's not the end of the story. Because where we see failure and pain and loss and grieving and anxiety, God sees growth and he sees the shaping and the molding of our character. And uh, I'll be honest, uh, I don't love all this talk about character development through pain and suffering and perseverance. It's not my favorite because I don't like suffering like most of us here, I'm sure. And uh, I don't look forward to going through tough times. And I think we would all agree on that. And I do everything I can in my life um, just to set things up in a way so that things work out well. And so there are no setbacks. But it is undeniable when we look at the Bible as a whole that uh, God will allow us to suffer. And that God develops our character through suffering and trials. And so as we wrap up this morning uh, with worship... Um, if you're going through a difficult season right now, and if, or if you recently have gone through a season of suffering, of setbacks, or even just a season of feeling um, disconnected from God, um, I want to encourage you to search your heart for how God might be at work and for how God may be using your experience right now and, and what you're going through to develop and to grow your character, for how God is at work to redeem and restore what may have been lost, and for the lessons you can learn in the season you're in right now to become more and more like Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we worship again this morning.